www.bitsandvalues.com. Joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, Hi, Josh. How have you been? Um, have you been? <clears throat> been very well, thank you. How about you? Pretty solid, pretty solid. Um, I think we had a pretty fun couple of weeks in the baseball world between our last uh, podcast and this one, and that gives us a lot to talk about this week. Yep. Let's get into it. So yeah, let's not waste any time here. Uh, let's start out with the news. We had. Uh, one of our bigger trades so far of the offseason, the Angels picked up Jose Iglesias from the Orioles. Uh, it makes sense. They The Angels lost Andrelton Simmons to free agency, and Jose Iglesias is <laughs> the closest you can come to Andrelton Simmons without <laughs> just re-signing Simmons himself. He's got the glove. He's got the contact numbers. Um, and he came pretty cheap. He was just a rental. Um, he did come a little bit below our value for him, still accepted by our model uh, as a slight underpay for the Angels. Um, we had him at 3.7 million in trade value, and they gave up right-handed minor league pitchers Garrett Stallings, who we had at 0.7, and Gene Pinto, who we had at 0.6. Um, my my best guess as to why, at least a part of why he did go a little bit under market value there, is we've seen just kind of a very crowded shortstop market this offseason. Um, in free agency between Semyon, uh, Didi Gregorius, and Simmons, especially. And then on the trade market, there's been Francisco Lindor, who seems like is going to move. There's been a little bit of buzz about the Baez and the Story and those type guys. Um, and then next offseason, a bunch of those guys, Baez, Story, Correa, and Lindor, they all hit the free agent market. So that's that's part of my guess. Plus, he's a rental. That always helps a little bit. Um but I think I think all in all, it's a decent, decent little move for both sides. What do you think? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. First of all, what is the deal with Jose Iglesias? The guy can't get paid. <laughs> He's always been undervalued. I have a little bone to pick about this with the market. Um, you know, he puts up, you know, even when he was not hitting all that well, you know, he still put up very strong defensive numbers. And even after he does hit well, he's still not going for much. So, like, is there something else there? Is he a cl- not a good clubhouse guy? Or what? what why do people not value hey, him? Right. <laughs> he's not showing much age yet with the glove. And it seems like on glove alone, even with a 10%, 20% below average bat, he's a reliable two-win presence over there at shortstop. Just exactly. Just someone you can kind of set and forget. Exactly. And even after and we adjust... Hits, Right, right. And if he hits anything like he did in 2020 in his very small sample, then that's that's huge. That's a really good that's value a huge for bargain. the Angels. Yeah, yeah. And, and and even after we adjust for the career sort of below average offense, because we know markets value offense more than defense, he's mm. still a high quality player. I don't get it. So um, so I'm not surprised at all that that the market doesn't value him as highly as as he should be on paper. I would also point out that um, the Angels and the Orioles made a trade last year where, you know, the Orioles for Dylan Bundy going to the Angels and the Orioles picked four very low level pitching prospects. And Uh they admitted that, you know, what they're trying to do is basically a spaghetti strategy, get quantity over quality and just get as much as they can. And um, Michael Elias in an interview I read today said, well, you know, we never had. We're particularly interested in like you know guys who were international signings because they had no presence on the international market, mm-hmm. so that's where they threw in Pinto. So they're really just trying to like add quantity to their farm, and that seems to be the priority, hoping that you know one or two of those guys breaks out and becomes something. So you know, fine, <laughs> that's okay. Um, but uh, you know, 
it still it doesn't surprise me that Iglesias doesn't go for much more than that, but I still wish he would. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate for the Orioles because they've been rebuilding for a couple of years now, and it seems like the light at the end of the tunnel hasn't gotten any closer. Um, it's going to take a while. It's largely because, as you mentioned, they kind of started from nothing. They started from a very bleak farm system because of their lack of an international presence. Um, They really only had a couple trade chips, and of those trade chips from their last good team, the only one they moved was Manny Machado. Mm -hmm. And that was in a very similar type deal to the Bundy one, to this one, where it was kind of quantity over quality. They got, Mm -hmm. I believe, five prospects there, none of them Mm -hmm. big-name top 100 guys. Mm-hmm. and they're kind of starting to trickle their way through the system. It, they've, they've got a lot of work to do over there still. They, <laughs> they got their work cut out for them. I'm not, I think they're moving in the right direction, uh, but I think it's going to be a couple more years. Yeah, I mean, the top of their farm has actually been getting better with Rutschman and yes. <clears throat> Grayson Rodriguez. And Helps picking guys. at the top of the draft every year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's no question that that's improving. Um, you know, and so I think they're, they're now kind of working the bottom and the middle and hoping to get lucky there. Uh-huh. So and I, I don't think the Angels are anywhere near done here. Yeah, the other good thing about the Angels is, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an Iglesias fan. I think he solved yeah. the problem at short, right? So now they've spent almost nothing on him, and they've got a, now they've got some resources to solve their other problems, namely starting pitching. So mm-hmm. uh, good for them. And, and what's interesting is between him, I saw a tweet that between him and David Fletcher and Anthony Rendon, they have three of the top 12 hitters in contact percentage from 2020. Mm. That's it's also, yeah, that's a good point. And that's also a good right side of the defense. I left it Right, right. <laughs> so that's three pretty solid defenders. Maybe yep. Rendon's a step behind the other two. But they, they have a pretty good defense. And if, if you can't, we all know they need pitching. But if, if that doesn't come together as well as they'd like, at least they have a, a solid defensive foundation now. Yeah. that they can fall back on, get some more pitch-to-contact type guys and cross their fingers. There you go. All right. Uh, we also had a couple pretty significant pitcher signings, free agent pitcher signings from the last couple of weeks. Uh, first, the Mets signed Trevor May. Um, two-year, $15.5 million deal. Came together pretty quickly, it seemed like. And I know there's been comments that May was especially excited by Steve Cohen's press conference. <laughs> Seems like that's going to be one of the <laughs> that press conference could be a big factor in the off season for a lot of teams here. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of a lot of players got real excited by that. There's Marcus Stroman who accepted his qualifying offer immediately after and cited how excited he was to be under Cohen. And then you got this deal with Trevor May. Um, and there's also reports that the Mets are closing or getting near a deal with uh, James McCann mm-hmm. to play catcher for them. And here, Trevor May, he, he seemed to me like one of the best uh, best options on the relief market once you get past the elite arm in Liam Hendricks. He seemed like mm-hmm. the best kind of mid-range bargain arm. I think seven, eight million a year for him is he's more than worth that. He was, he was striking everyone out in 2020. Yeah, yeah. I crunched the numbers on him the other day. We have his field value at fifteen point nine for two years, so he's just above where they paid for him. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit of a little bit of surplus there. Um, you know, in other words, it's a fair deal. There's a rounding mm-hmm. error issue there. It's a fair deal, and I agree. There's maybe a touch more upside there than we might even be expecting because he's been kind of. Seems like he found a new gear in the last year or two, so maybe more to come. So it's a very good value signing. And I have to say, with um, 
with that and the potential McCann signing, you know, they're not overpaying for like the top guy here and the top guy there. They're 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 being smart about it and they're they're mm-hmm. getting okay the second guy here and the second guy there and they're getting value and so that frees them up to use their money in other places and maybe there's a big splash coming mm-hmm. but um sandy alderson did say you know and he's right there's only two currencies you know money and players <clears throat> you know so you can either buy on the free agent market or you can trade with player capital they don't want to trade with player player capital because most of their as he pointed out most of the young guys their their best prospects are at the lower levels there's almost nothing at the double a AA and triple a level and they want to mm-hmm. grow those prospects set up a very sustainable farm system so so they don't want to trade those guys which is where their more higher values or high upside guys are so instead they're spending their money and cohen has a lot of it and they've got some room quite a bit of room especially after the cano issue you know right. so um so they got a lot of wiggle room there and but but they're not you know they're not going crazy in doing on a spending spree they're being very smart mm-hmm. about it and i appreciate that i think that's great and, and it makes sense for them they're they're a team that has their stars that's that's not a problem for them right now i mean obviously a jt real muto a george springer whoever that would be a great addition for them but they have stars they have jeff mcneil I, he's not at that level uh, as far as name recognition goes, but he's that caliber of well yeah. above average all-star player. They have him, they have Michael Conforto, they have Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonso. Eh. <laughs> Going to have to see how he responds to kind of a down year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the rotation, they got Jacob deGrom, and that's <laughs> that's the best way you can start your rotation, really. So they really do need <laughs> some of these more, I don't want to call them filler, but some of these average to above average regulars to kind of fill out the lineup, fill out the bullpen, fill out the rotation. Yep. And then they have a really scary team. Yeah. I think they need a three and a four in the rotation because I'm not convinced Matt's is anything but uh, a swing man at this point at best. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got DeGrom and Stroman and some question marks. Syndergaard comes back probably July-ish, but usually when you come back from TJS, you're a little rusty. And so you can't really count on that. So, you know, I think they need two more starters, and they may be saving their money for some good ones. So they're being smart. Mm-hmm. And just quickly on the other end of that, the Twins losing May, they've had a bit of a bullpen exodus this offseason. And we'll get into it a little bit later as well. The Angels kind of had. Mm-hmm. Um, the Angels maybe had more reason to do so, <laughs> given the state of their bullpen the last couple of years than the Twins did, because the Twins mm-hmm. have had a pretty successful bullpen. Um, but they don't really have a whole lot left outside of Taylor Rogers, and even he had a bit of a down year last right. year. So it's going to be interesting to watch them rebuild. Um, we're going to be talking about non-tenders later on in the episode, and I think that could be a spot that both the Twins and the Angels look to to rebuild their bullpens, rework them. There were a lot of interesting, at least, relievers non-tendered that could mm-hmm. get a shot somewhere and really make the most of it. Um, but it's, it's, not a, it's not great losing Trevor May for the Twins. No. <clears throat> they got some work to do there in Minnesota, it's true. Definitely. All right, um, next free agent signing. This one was a little surprising at first when we learned about the years and the dollar value, I think, but it does also track with what we've seen the rest of the offseason. So the Royals picked up Mike Miner, brought him back into town. Two-year, $18 million guarantee with a $13 million club option for 2023. Um, that just, uh, there's nothing wrong with Mike Miner. He was very strong for the Royals and very strong when he moved to Texas on that three-year deal. And then had a bit of a down year in 2020 with between Texas and the A's, between the rotation and the bullpen. But 
I don't know. It seems a little steep to me. What do the values say? The values say he's worth 18.6, so right <laughs> on the money again. You know, um, and, and the Royals have a tendency to do this type of deal um, a little bit more so with you know, bounce back guys like Homer Bailey or Trevor Rosenthal, and they end up sort of making a profit when they flip them later. So this or even minor when they first got it. Exactly. Yeah. So this may be what they're thinking. I mean, minor is only a year um, away from that great year of 2019 where you got a lot of Cy Young votes. So mm-hmm. there's maybe more potential in the tank. On the other hand, there were some worries from trends. His velocity seems to be going down a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe he's the veteran guy they need to help the young guys. That's where their future is, you know, Singer and Lynch and those types of guys that they're bringing up. So maybe they're looking at for that that veteran presence angle as well, that sort of intangible value. But I can't argue with the value on paper. It's right there. Yeah, they're they're not going to be competitive in 21. They're probably not going to be competitive in 22. And I'd be pretty surprised if they picked up his $13 million club option for 23. By that point, he's going to be... Yeah, well into his 30s, yeah. um, and if the velocity continues anywhere near on this trend, then that's not going to be good news. But yeah, if you're the Royals, you have money, spend it, bring back a guy you like, uh, bring back a guy who clearly has upside and who could be flipped. Um, and and as I alluded to, this this really just continues the trend of the starting pitching market looks fine. <laughs> it there does. Were, there were so many concerns going into this offseason about what the market would look like after such a strange 2020 season. No fans in the stands, lower revenues, teams going to be cutting back. They don't know what's going to happen in 2021. They don't know when they're going to have full, fully attended Major League Baseball games to profit from. But so far, at least on the starting pitching market, which has been the most active free agent market so far, it, it looks fine. <laughs> it does look fine. I mean... Look, there's always a supply and demand issue with starting pitching. There's never enough good ones. I mean, you got at least five slots to fill and not not that many, you know, multiply by 30 teams, that's 150 that you need, plus depth. You know, there's not that many good starting pitchers out there. So there's always a supply and demand issue. So I'm not surprised in a way that that's fine. Um, you know, and it, but I, I find it interesting, though, that it's the sort of second tier guys that are moving first. Like we're not waiting around for Bauer to sign, you know, mm-hmm. we're just going from Mike Miner and Drew Smiley and the other guys, you know, so yeah. those guys are like, and they're right there. They're right on their numbers. You know, there's not overpaying. There's just right. It's right on that. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's not crazy. Some people think it's crazy because they look at a guy like Smiley, he got that much, and they didn't realize he was kind of on the upswing last year, or Minor, he got that much. And yes, he wasn't quite as good last year, but he was great the year before. So like, you can balance all these things out, and it seems fair. Yeah, and the, the unique thing about pitching, whether it's the rotation or the bullpen, is signing a Minor, not that the, not that the Royals are going to go out and sign Bauer, but <laughs> signing a Minor does not stop you from signing a Bauer right. in the way that signing i don't know signing recently uh non-tendered eddie rosario kind of clogs a spot that george springer might go but that's not necessarily the case with my, with starting pitching because even if you get a mike minor or a drew smiley there's still room in your rotation for a trevor bauer sure you just bump everybody down a slot that's exactly fine. and and as you mentioned very few teams have five good starting pitchers right now to the point where they'd say, no, I'm good. We're not going <laughs> to yeah. sit out that market. And and you know what? You actually need, in a normal year, you need about eight. You need, yeah, you need and, five and who knows what it's going to look like in 2021. 
when pitchers are ramping up their workloads from this weird 60 game right. season and trying to get ready for what at least we think right now is another 162 game season teams might need to rely on de- I don't know how it's going to look I don't there's an argument that pitchers will do better because they had kind of half a year off their arms will be fresher and there's an argument that yeah but they're going from 60 70 innings and pushing back up to 150 160 170 something around there they could get injured yep so i think i think teams are going to be more cautious and try to build more depth if they can uh than usual even but yeah we just don't know for sure <clears throat> and that's a great point and that's an issue i think across the board i mean more so with with pitching probably but with for example with um the dh and there's still right. no, no clarity on whether there's dh in the national league but um you know guys are going to need days hitters are going to need days off right and so sometimes you can give them a break by cycling the dh spot in your lineup for guys who are regularly in the field and so you know over 162 games you know you're going to need that that sort of half day you know here and there especially for guys who came off of a shortened season didn't play much in, in 2020 so yeah i think it's an issue all around i mean i, I agree it's more of an issue with pitching but it's an issue everywhere Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like they should have uh, come to at least some sort of initial agreement for what the 2021 season would look like before teams had to make decisions yeah. on what their 2021 rosters would look like. Yeah, you would hope. Uh, <laughs> maybe one of these days we'll learn something from the league. They haven't even sorted out the minor leagues yet. It's 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 a yeah. mess right now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, one last move, relatively minor. Uh, the Dodgers picked up Corey Kniebel from the Brewers. He was reported as a non-tender, um, but it seems like they pulled off a trade at the last minute. Dodgers pick up another live arm. This is such a Dodgers move. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. he, yep. he's their next Jimmy Nelson, Blake Trinan, Jake McGee, whoever whoever you want to call it. He's their next yep. bullpen reclamation pro- project. He's probably going to have a 270 ERA and pitch the eighth inning for them next October. It's... <laughs> Yep. At this point, you know he's damaged goods, kind of. He had a rough season coming back from Tommy John. Um, the Brewers weren't going to tender him, obviously, so it's, he didn't have any value. There's nothing you can really do there. But, God, this just screams <laughs> relief ace for the Dodgers. I, I love it. <clears throat> I love it because, first of all, um, you know, there's a there's a pattern. We've talked about this before, where when you first come back from Tommy John, you're a little shaky, right? And that right. first year, you kind of have to write it off. That second year is usually when you like, oh, okay, I found my groove again. And and the Dodgers know this, and other teams know this as well. You know, you start to sort of graph it out, like, okay, he's he's, he's going to be on the upswing, and this is a really good value play for, you know, what um what looked like five-ish million dollars of ten. I mean, you know, who knows what they signed for, but. But that's what he was looking at. And I actually, on paper, we have him at 5.6, so there's a little bit of surplus when you factor in kind of his upside and his, and his, his history. Mm-hmm. So great move by the Dodgers. And they sw- swooped in at the last minute thinking, okay, well, you know, we'll give up a, you know, cash or a PTVNL. That's fine if we get our guy. They really targeted him probably instead of, like, trying to compete with other teams in the open market for him. So great move. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I <laughs> There's no way for this to backfire on them, especially when you're the Dodgers and you have a blank check for your payroll. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they have unlimited funds. He's going to cost, what, five-ish million yeah. in arbitration, a little more maybe. Yeah. Um, that's that's nothing to them. So yep. why not why not take a gamble? Half of what they paid for Blake Trinan last year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. All right. So let's 
Uh, we, we do have a trade of the week, but let's first discuss really quick Josh Hader. Um, so you wrote another article. You wrote an article about why we have his trade value so low. And I've, he's been in trade talks for years now. It seems like ever <laughs> since he, ever since people realized, huh, Josh Hader's pretty good, it was like, okay, where are the Brewers going to trade him? And it was mostly the Yankees fans all <laughs> doing what Yankees fans do and saying, oh, there's a good player on the trade market. He's ours, and we'll give you our spare parts for him. But um, it, it seems like every every season there's been an opportunity where it's like, well, is this the point where the Brewers are going to deal him? No, no. Okay, they're going to hang on to him until the off season, and then they'll trade him then. No, no, maybe the next trade deadline. And they've just held on to him every time. And then it finally backfired. 2020, he finally had a bad year. Not, not necessarily a bad year. He had his first down year. Yeah. And with between that, between losing years of control, his value has slipped and at this point they're they're not looking at a great return. So so tell me a little bit about what you found there. So <clears throat> just a, so first of all, the emergence of Devin Williams is really kind of a game changer for them because he looks mm-hmm. like he's their new, you know, shutdown closer. Um, now, we just talked about Corey Knievel moving, so maybe there's a slot for Hater, but Look, the the Brewers have a lot of slots to fill, so and they don't have a lot of trade chips, so this is one of them. Um, but here again, there's kind of a perception issue versus a reality issue. The perception is, ooh, Josh Hader, he's great, he's a lead, he's going to bring in a haul. And my whole point is, no, he's not. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he just, you know, he's running out of time. They waited too long. And now, as you mentioned, there's performance issues. He lost some velocity, which was a little bit concerning. His peripherals were down. His FIP was down. His WPA was way down. You know, that's a factor for, for relievers, you know. He's projected for one war. And even when you sort of, you know, project him for out the next three years of control, it's good, but it's not elite, you know. Yeah. We're looking like a, you know, 39-ish million dollar sort of fuel value. But the problem is the money. He's getting expensive because he was a super two last year, which started his clock early, and his numbers start going up pretty dramatically to the point where he might actually be a non-tender in his final year. Um, mm-hmm. So you're only really talking about two years of surplus. And when you start adding that up, you get maybe nine or ten million. And if you skew him, give him a benefit for being left-handed, you get up to fourteen or so for being a, a star as well. And if you skew that high, you're getting you know we're really squinting now just to get up to fifteen is where we had him in surplus value. And if if you sort of rework those numbers in terms of what would that mean if he were a free agent, we're basically talking about he's worth fifty-two million for three years, and that's the highest a reliever has ever gotten. That was Wade Davis three years ago. So that's a seventeen million dollar AV. It, it's the equivalent of that on the open free agent market. That's as high as you're going to go. So I'm very confident that that's you know that's the max really, um, and right. that's that's it. You're not going to get especially in a year where we're seeing all these relievers non-tendered and they couldn't afford Corey Knievel. I mean, and everyone knows now. They've already signaled to the market the Brewers are, have that they're trying to cut costs. So right. I'm not even sure they have that much leverage to get even that. So frankly, so it's not looking great. <laughs> yeah, and, and you could make the argument that if a team is trading for Josh Hader, they're trading for him with the idea that he is still dominant, that he is that relief ace, best reliever in baseball that we've seen the last few years. That's that's the guy they think they're acquiring if they're going to trade for him. And if that that's the guy he is, if he puts together his usual elite season, bounces back in 2021, then the numbers go up, and then maybe that third year or that final year, excuse me, he becomes 
he's no longer a non-tender candidate. That's a possibility. It's a possibility. I will add that there is some risk with him. Um, yes. He's got a bit of an unorthodox delivery, kind of a smaller frame guy that, you know, like those guys tend to burn out a little faster than mm-hmm. than some others, you know? So and everyone, mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows that, too. You have to sort of, like, you know, give a little side eye about that, too. Yeah. So, and, uh, and so the question is, was 2020 just a blip, a weird yeah. season, or is it the start of that burnout? And so you can, you can argue that he's going to be treated as a potentially, and as he should, be treated as a potentially bullpen ace down the road. But there's so much risk there there's, that wasn't there before uh, before his down 2020. There's so much more risk there now that teams are going to have to factor in, and they're not going to be as willing to give up that big piece now. Yeah I, yeah, I will add, you know, the two cases that people always cite, Andrew Miller <clears throat> or Roldis Chapman, right? Roldis Chapman yeah. got a haul for the help to club. You know, we know that story. He got Clipper Torres. Andrew Miller got a haul. Similar story, you know. And so people think, oh, this is another one of those cases. It's not, um, you know, those guys had more, well, in Miller's case in particular, I think he had more control and at a lower salary. And he also, you you know, you can see that the performance is a little bit more sustainable, a little less risk. Um, And there was also sort of that, um, those were deadline deals. And so maybe you can make the case that if the Brewers were to trade Hater at the deadline, they could get a little bit more as teams get antsy and want that. And if he's performing well, maybe they can skew a little bit more higher. Mm-hmm. Probably not much more than that, though, because um, at that point, you only have two and a half years left of control. Yeah. You know, but if I squint, I could see it, you know, but I don't see it getting much higher than this. Uh, I think we're mostly past this point. But if you're listening and you still judge trades based off the oldest Chapman deal, stop. Throw it out. Throw the Aroldis Chapman trade out the window. That was a one-time thing that is almost never going to happen again. There will never be another reliever. There will never be another rental reliever, probably, (laughs) as consistently dominant as Chapman, first of all. Second of all, there will never be another team as desperate for that big rental piece for that World Series title as those Cubs were. And I think there's a lot of nitpicking you can do there with Glaber Torres. There's a little bit of hindsight going on now that he's kind of broken into the league and is very successful. Um, if the I think if the Cubs knew that this is what Glaber Torres would be eventually, they don't make that trade. But in general, stop. <laughs> that's yeah. That's not the benchmark. That's it the is outlier. <clears throat> it is not. And we're gonna get into Blake Snell as well. The Archer mm-hmm. trade um, is not. It was also an outlier. Right. <laughs> that is right. Not a... <laughs> That never, that hardly ever happened. So yeah. Right. Great, tra- <laughs> great transition. Let's get into Blake Snell. <laughs> we, we've been seeing a lot of proposals, a lot of speculation about Blake Snell since reports came out that the Rays are at least testing, testing the waters, testing his market. Um, so we've seen a lot of proposals on our site, a lot of proposals on Twitter, on uh, written in articles, and they're mostly all over the place. <laughs> You've done some. You've done some good Twitter, uh, Twitter damage control, kind of, um, finding some of those deals and kind of explaining to people why so many of them are being are, are overpays. Um, so many of the proposals out there by analysts, by TV guys, whatever. Yeah. Um, but here we have one for our trade of the week from SamCLK688. And this one is fair <laughs> because it's in our... It's in our proposal, it's in our simulator, it uses our values. This one looks like it lines up pretty well. So the Dodgers will be picking up Snell, who we have at 52.4 million in median trade value, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. 
Um, and in exchange, they'd be sending catcher Kiebert Ruiz for their top catching prospect, $23.4 million. Right-handed pitching prospect Josiah Gray, 17.7 mil. And second base prospect Michael Bush, 11.1. Um, so, <laughs> honestly, all three of those guys seem like really great fits for the Rays, both organizationally and just their, they seem like Rays type of guys, which makes sense because Andrew Friedman acquired them <laughs> in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think this is very, very, very fair. Uh, what do you think? I think it's great. <clears throat> Not only do the values match up, but it's it's the kind of deal that I think the Rays would make for a couple of reasons. One, you know, all three of these guys have upside, and you know they could grow into more. I could see Gray really becoming a star and his 17 number going up as he goes. Bush maybe is not some not as much because he's a little more one-dimensional, but but nonetheless going going he up. Feels they have like, a... He feels like another Brousseau, like <laughs> with a little more of... pedigree. Yes, definitely. Know? But like Brousseau that was kinda... just a guy off the street, but this guy is right, right. You know? <laughs> he's he's that under the radar plays a lot of positions. Yeah, he's he's very Rays. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Ruiz obviously fits indeed because they need a catcher right now because they have no catchers right now. So and he's and he's MLB ready and he's blocked. So that that makes perfect sense. But um, you know the other thing is organizationally, as you mentioned, you know the Rays need to clear 40-man space because they've got so many prospects coming, and you know everyone knows this. So you know they've got if they do make a trade for Snell, and if it's more of a three-for-one kind of package like this, you know other than Ruiz, who's those an immediate MLB ready opening the other two guys need to be sort of lowered down organizationally so that they don't have to be put on the 40 right so there's less of a sort of clock aspect yeah because you got to save those ones for the other guys you already have who are coming up and that's part of the reasons why they're trading snell is because they need to make room for you know the various guys come clanahan and maybe honeywell and you know they've got guys coming that you know are going to fill those needs and this is what the rays do they constantly sort of you know turn over the you know the inventory of players as they get older and more expensive they replace them with younger ones who have upside that's their model and it works and so snell is right at that time it's a little bit similar to the archer you know when they traded him and and other deals they've made in the past as well um but what i take issue with is journalists who use the archer trade as a benchmark and say okay this is what the rays will want in return and everyone in the industry knows that archer trade was ridiculous and is not going to happen they're not going to get and they knew it from day one yes (laughs) so trying to propose trades based on exactly that is also ridiculous you know because people are smarter now so you're not anything it becomes so much more difficult to pull that off because now other teams see that and say hey we're not going to get fleeced like that exactly we see, we see how that worked out for the pirates how the pr was there we're yeah, not going to let that happen to us exactly and the gm got fired after that so yeah. there's no, no i'm not going to be the chump who makes that deal right so <laughs> um so you're not going to get and there was one that i tweeted about you know this is way over the top i think it was a white Sox deal where they had a vaughn and Kopech and steve um <laughs> And the other thing people forget about the the Archer deal was that, you know, um, for Glasnow and Meadows, both those guys, you know, they had prospect pedigree, but their stocks had fallen a bit. They, you know, we know prospect development is not linear. It doesn't go in a straight line, right? So it's a little bumpy. So they had some bumps in the road, which is why they were available. So you can't just overlook that and say, okay, now we're going to get Vaughn and Kopech because, you know, other than, you know, Kopech at TGS, but otherwise, I think he's, you know, still got a lot of potential. And Vaughn was a high first-round draft pick, and he looks just fine. So, like, mm-hmm. there's not a situation here where their their stock has fallen. 
<clears throat> they're still high. So you can't really base it on that. So that's where the discrepancy comes in. And the other uh, thing is, this isn't Chris Sale we're talking about here. When when he was traded to the Red Sox for that right. mega package, the the Kopech package, the Kopech Moncada yep. deal. Yep. This isn't Snell isn't Sale. Snell's a very good pitcher. He's a Cy Young Award winner, but he has very obvious and very notable limitations. He's yes, he never been a 200 innings a year guy. He's had some injury issues. Mm-hmm. He's had some control issues. He's never been incredibly consistent. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting this young, very high upside arm. And the cost control is convenient as well. He's on a guaranteed deal already. You don't have to worry about year to year with arbitration or anything like that. But he's not an ace necessarily. I wouldn't go as far as to call him an ace. He's got the ace <coughs> he's... potential. He could develop into that, but he's not that surefire yeah. number one in our rotation. We're set there no matter what. He's a That's two. not who he is. Yeah. He's a two. I mean, you know, at least on a championship team. You know, he's not the Grom. You know, he's not Beaver. Um, he's not the guy you throw if you have to. Um, and I know that they threw him in the, you know, deciding game of the World Series. But, you know, they also took him out after five innings. And I know right. that was controversial, but it's also because, you know, he has a track record of, you know, dwindling performance third time mm-hmm. through the order. So, and, you know, Sarah's wrote a good piece about that. The, the, that decision was not the wrong decision in his view. And I agree with it um, because analytically, you know, he does have that tendency. And if it's the game you have to win, you know, mm-hmm. third time through the order, he was very vulnerable. So the, the, that decision backfired, not because of taking him out, but because who they put in, because Dick Anderson had a tiny yeah. arm at that point. And then yes. That's where the game got blown. So my point, but my point is, Snell is your five-inning guy. He's not a seven-inning guy. And if they were as a seven-inning guy, his numbers would start to go down. So they have to, they've in a way, they've protected his value also mm-hmm. by keeping him to five innings where he's good. Right? So, and, yeah. and, and, so that's what you're getting. You're getting a number two who can go five innings, maybe six. Yeah, and that's just that's not worth <laughs> that's not worth an Andrew Vaughn and a Michael Kopech and yeah. other pieces, and yeah. we're seeing a lot a lot of those similar type deals in the uh, last 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 episode we talked about Francisco Lindor and all of those proposals <clears throat> and how wacky and out of line most of them were, yeah. um, and a large part of that is because Lindor is a one year rental and people are just bad at <laughs> valuing rentals. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks to deals like the Chapman one. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I think people get excited because, oh, it's three whole years of him, and he's already signed to this contract that's not that expensive. Oh, they, they can get the moon for him. But they're looking over so many shortcomings here, so many little things that make him just not, not the guy you spend all of your prospect capital on. <clears throat> right. And I should also say, you know, that 52.4 number is skewed higher. His actual surplus is 47.6. But we knew there would be demand, so we skewed the sort of low, medium, high range. And so that's already sort of taking into account that there'd be multiple bidders. So I'm not sure it's going to go much higher than that. I would be surprised if it went a little bit higher, up to his, like as high as at 61 in our model. I could I could see that, but, but it's certainly not much more than that. So in this particular trade proposal, from Sam, you know, it's at 52.2 to 52, you know, it's right on the money. Uh, gets 27 upvotes. Everybody sees that it's fair. You can maybe see the Dodgers throwing in a lottery ticket just to sweeten it, but yeah. that's about it. <clears throat> and the Dodgers are a fun fit there, especially if you are viewing him the way that you do as a number two. The mm-hmm. Dodgers, he's <laughs> he's fine to be a number two there. He's a number three in their rotation, specifically. Mm-hmm. 
behind mm-hmm. Bueller and Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's that's a good spot there when you can trust those guys to to combine for some number of innings, and then you don't have to rely on quite as much out of Snell. You're just looking for those five, maybe six strong innings and then hand it over to the bullpen because the two nights before, the bullpen didn't have to do much work. Yeah, so another sort of issue here that we haven't talked about, which is the Dodgers have a pretty full rotation already. You know, you mentioned, you know, Bueller, who's now really their number one, and Kershaw's getting older, and as great as he's been, he's really kind of their two now. Um, But then they've got, you know, May and Gonsolin and Urias and... Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. <clears throat> um, so there are five there already, right? And they're yeah. all sort of, you know, uh, looking pretty good. So Snell would be, you know, he would push down one of those guys. Now, granted, we talked about you need like six to eight relief, uh, starters anyway. Um, so, you know, probably not an issue, but not a burning issue for the Dodgers yeah. either. <clears throat> and the Dodgers have never been afraid to shuttle guys between the rotation and the bullpen. Right. Yeah. We've already seen it with Gonsolin and May and Arias. So yeah. maybe that's something they could work out there but i i agree that it's, it's not a need for them but at this point do they have any needs i mean <laughs> they gotta they gotta fill third bullpen. base well they just got knievel but they, they still could use a bullpen home. yeah they're losing trinan so they'll, yeah i don't think knievel's quite a one-to-one replacement there um yeah they got they got some needs uh but they can easily fill those just by re-sign justin turner or right. let edwin rios take over third base they got plenty of choices there they got a it's a nice problem to have and they have still got to find a place to play lux you know so right. maybe, he's ready, so. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he's the third base solution if he can maybe. get his defense under yeah. control yeah. um so yeah at this point anything they're adding is a luxury anyway especially after winning the world series it would mm-hmm. also be a fun little narrative thing for the rays to trade him to the dodgers after that world <laughs> series and everything oh, that right. happened. I'm, I'm just now realizing that i know i wasn't even thinking <laughs> about that um I, I would hate to read all the all the hit pieces written about, oh, he got traded because he was upset that he got pulled. <laughs> uh, but <No. clears throat> but it's, a, it's a fun trade to think about. I think it looks really fair. I think we agree. I think a lot of our users agree. So mm-hmm. thanks a lot, Sam. Uh, as usual, if you have a trade proposal that you'd like to get featured in an episode, very simple. Just put it through on the site, and if people like it enough, we'll talk about it. So... Let's move on to our feature segment of today. We've already run a little bit long uh, with our news and our trades and all that. Um, but we want to talk about the non-tenders that happened just the other night. Um, there was a lot of speculation going into non-tender season from people around the game, from reporters, even from us, that we might see a more aggressive non-tender deadline than usual. We might see more non-tenders because of concerns about salary and about budgets because of the small sample we had in 2020 making arbitration so much more difficult to, to come to, to agree to, to estimate. Um, because, of, because of those reasons, because of the DH and the uncertainty there about whether it would be in the NL. So, so we expected more non-tenders than usual. We didn't quite get that. We got more or less the normal amount of non-tenders. Maybe a couple more names than usual that are recognizable, that are um, well-known, average fan might consider better than they are, (laughs) Um, looking at Kyle Schwarber and Eddie Rosario there. Mm -hmm. Um, But only a couple players with significant positive value, and even by significant, we're talking one and a half mil, two mil in that range. Um, For the most part, I'll let you get into it, but for the most part, 
almost every player that was non-tender was right around zero or in the negative. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I tweeted out earlier um, that the average value was negative 0.6. So it seems very rational. And actually, when you when you back out some of the minor league guys um, whose contracts are being reworked and had some positive value, it's actually minus 0.8. So in that way, it's very rational. In other words, um, you know, GMs are being you know cost conscious certainly, but if the guy isn't worth what they expected to pay to pay in arbitration, they made that decision. Um, doesn't mean he's not worth much in the field. It just means he was being he, he was likely to be overpaid. And what they don't want is a bunch of sort of overpaid guys. They want to be as lean and mean as efficient as possible. So okay. some of these guys might get re-signed just for a lower price point. But it's also sort of indicative of the arbitration system itself, which is totally out of whack with how front offices work. Front offices are very analytical. They're looking at you know deep you know <clears throat> statistics that are very sort of more more forward looking and you know and more more um, more projectable and a lot of sort of advanced stats you know if they go into arbitration those guys are looking at back of the baseball card average home runs rbis wins saves, saves I mean, yeah. you know it's ridiculous these things that are sort of anachronisms now that you know for the analytical community and so you know a guy like rosario who had some home runs and rbis is going to cost more even though you know he's got a low pb and some of his peripherals are not so great defense is not so great you know so so the way they value him completely different than the way an arbitration panel would value him which is why you know he said they they non-tendered him because because he wasn't worth what they what he might have gotten and that happened uh, in a few cases as well so schwarber may be another case of that i think there's another issue with schwarber which is the cubs are obviously cutting costs and they've sort of flagged that to the whole world so yeah. he was kind of one of the he was sort of on the bubble even though we had him at, at some positive value at 2.6 you know, we know that that was the issue. We also know that the, D, the DH not being in the NL potentially is is perhaps another sort of issue. But mostly, I think they just want to cut costs. You know, Archie Bradley. Um, the Reds have now sort of indicated publicly that you know after their sort of splurge, you know, then the pandemic hit them and they hit them pretty hard because gate revenue is big for them. Now they're cutting costs. So even a guy like Archie Bradley, who was pretty close to fair value. You know, uh, they didn't want to spend that much. Um, one of the, the patterns that I saw is there's a lot of relievers on the cutting yeah. board, on the cutting room floor here, and a few with positive value. And there's just, that's where everybody thinks they can just get the same production for cheaper. And we know relievers are volatile, so it's a bit of a spaghetti strategy. We're going to cut this guy, and this guy is making one, two, three, four million, whatever, for a guy who's making, you know, league minimum. And we'll have, we'll throw five guys out there and see which two or three stick. And, you know, a lot of teams are taking that strategy and, you know, because that's an obvious way sort of to cut budget. Um, so we saw guys like Matt Whistler and, you know, Keenan Middleton, a few guys that I think have some positive value, you know, get non-tendered as well. And they'll probably get picked up by a few other teams. So, but, you know, again, like you said, these are not like huge discrepancies. These are in sort of the zero to two-ish range. Um, so I can't say I'm surprised by anything. Um, to your larger point, we were expecting a bloodbath because or the journalists were sort of expecting that. And it may be a case where, you know, you know, when you tell everybody that, everybody kind of get braces for it. And then it wasn't as bad as we thought, even though if you didn't tell people that, oh, it does look bad. Schwarber got yeah. that. Rosario got that. Maybe that would have been the reaction. So it was, but, it, you know, it wasn't that bad, but it, um, you know, it, it, it didn't surprise us looking at the numbers. I mean, even a guy like David Dahl, who people think, oh, my gosh, they non tendered David Dahl. Well, he hasn't really performed, and he's clearly a case of injuries, you know, racking his career. 
Um, so we had him at like 1.1, and his, his his projected salary is 2.7 or so. So he was negative as well. So what we're just seeing across the board is it's basically just sort of efficiency decisions. Like, no, mm-hmm. didn't want to overpay guys. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of points. Um, just looking down the list here, as you mentioned, a lot of pitchers there, uh, a lot of relievers specifically. And the thing about relievers is you can squint at, like, any one of these guys on this list and say, like, ooh, I want my team to pick him up because he could bounce back. Because they're relievers. Literally any of these guys could could bounce back. A.J. Cole could sign with the Dodgers and be their next next reclamation. Would you be surprised? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, But there's a handful of those names. One fun one is Ryan Tapera, Mm -hmm. the MVP vote getter. (laughs) Ryan Tapera, not tendered. Oh boy, <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt Whistler's another one there. You mentioned um, we were talking about the Twins earlier and their bullpen exodus. I was very surprised to see him cut loose. He was mm-hmm. pretty solid for them, and with the amount of bullpen they don't have, <laughs> with the amount of bullpen help they've lost this off season, I, I thought he was a lock to yeah. for them to hang on to him. But I guess they think you, they can do better for cheaper. Um, on the offensive side, it's again what you'd expect. It's those. It's, corner outfielders, corner infielders, sluggers without much OBP or without a position. Um, the Jose Martinez is the Nomar Mazaras, Rosario mm-hmm. Schwarber, Adam Duvall, and then some of the lighter hitting infielders, center fielders, Almora, the Shields. Yeah. The Shields is an interesting one as well as one of the two pieces to come back in the Kluber trade. And now he's gone after mm-hmm. a pretty uninspiring 2020. Um, I think a larger point I want to speak to is that something that you mentioned i just want to build on that this system's so broken (laughs) like the cubs wanted to keep kyle schwerber the cubs like having kyle schwerber on their team that is a fact the reds would have loved to have archie bradley on their team Mm -hmm. problem is the system is so broken and outdated that it values them more than it should and the whole point of arbitration is to play the pay the players Okay, (laughs) I'll be careful there. I'm not going to say the point of arbitration is to pay the players what they deserve. The point of arbitration is to pay the players in this kind of scaling way to lead them up to free agency, but to some some extent you're modeling their on-field value, Mm -hmm. what they actually produce on the field. That's the goal of it. Right. And right now it's not doing that at all, and we can see that in these cases. Um we can see that for Kyle Schwarber, for Eddie Rosario, that they still provide value on the field, just not in the way that they're, as you said, back of the baseball card numbers would suggest. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. And the way we do our modeling, you know, there's um research has shown that, you know, first year of arbitration, it's about 25% of quote unquote market value. And then the second year is 40, third year is 60. So we sort of, you know, we, we crunch our numbers using that as a basis for the most part. And that's how we get, you know, our estimates of our players. But we're basing that market value on the numbers we're using, which are a little bit more in-depth, a little bit, you know, you know, <clears throat> we're using XWOBA and a few other sort of advanced you know, analytics. And so we're getting, you know, we think we're aligning pretty well with what front offices are using. So the market value that we are saying he's worth this is completely different than what a panel of arbitration, who, by the way, are not baseball people. They're lawyers who are just coming in fresh and saying, okay, you had how many home runs? And this guy had how many home runs? So therefore you should get as much as that guy. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So it's not at all the same system. So it's totally broken. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One more player I wanted to talk about here 
not on this list, not on the non-tender list, is Chris Bryant. Hmm. Um, I think he would have been the largest indicator of that. He would have been the biggest red flag of, wow, this arbitration season is not like normal. Yeah. Like he would have been the one where if he got if he got cut loose, everyone would have been up in arms about it. Journalists would be writing about <laughs> 30, yeah. 29 different journalists would be writing about what free agent offer their team was going to make <laughs> for for Chris Bryant. Everyone would be freaking out about it, and they'd be saying, "Oh, this is the sign that budgets are going down. The Cubs are so cheap. The pandemic really hit them hard. Whatever." So much would have been said about him, and we have him as close we have him as a 5.3 on the site i believe before some of our manual adjustments he's a lot closer to a non-tender candidate and so you could argue that that some of our uh our manual adjustments were done with the idea that of course he's chris bryant they can't non-tender him so maybe that's maybe it should be a little lower than the 5.3 that it's at but the fact that he wasn't non-tendered i think speaks to the fact that yes he does have a little bit of surplus value it's not as much as people would think because he's just going to earn so much in arbitration because he had such a rough 2020 season but he does still have a slight positive surplus he does and part of that is because there's a um we're baking in the value of a draft pick because he's right. a qo candidate right so and the cubs know this and that's why he's got potential trade he's actually if he didn't do that he'd be negative value to, which is where I think you're going with this point, you know, because in we're not sure what his, you know, arbitration salary would be. We've got 18.6 as our estimate right now. I've seen estimates that could go as 20, which would make it even more negative. But what's going to offset that a little bit is the probability of a draft pick. <clears throat> um, now he, he obviously had a very down year in 2020, and so we have a sort of a probability model that says, okay you know what's the likelihood of getting a draft that he will be offered a qo um at the end of the 2021 season you know if it was gangbusters you know way above you know 19 18.9 let's call it 19 ish next year you know if he was in the 20s then it'd be 100 percent that he would get uh you know a qo but if he's around there or a little lower than that, then it's not 100%. It's maybe 50-50 or so. So so you have to sort of scale that that probability of a draft pick value down a little bit. And so that's where we're kind of at. We're like saying, yeah, the comp pick is probably worth about 5.6 right now. So we're adding that in, which makes his value positive. And that's where we get that 5.3 number. It's mostly the draft pick that's compensating for that. So <clears throat> I think um, from what I've read, there is a little bit of trade interest. And I did see that someone mentioned that draft pick uh, as as a potential issue, as a potential sort of bonus, if you will, to picking up Bryant. So in other words, even if he's down again, at least they they whoever trades for him will still have that draft pick if they trade for him before the start of the season. I think he yeah. is likely to be moved, and I think that's why he was tendered because I think they probably will will make a deal, even if it's for you know an underpay. I think it would move because they want to save cost, and I think yeah. that ship has sailed. As well, after the whole issue with the, you know, time, you know, manipul service time manipulation, and you know, not that, it, yeah, everybody said nice things, but I know it wasn't the friendliest of relationships. So I, I'm, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think the one last point that I want to touch on here is the flip side of this, not the non-tenders, but the guys who were tendered. Mm -hmm. We saw a lot of players signing their deals, which is not too common for them to for so many to be signing their new contracts 
right before the deadline. Usually it kind of trickles over the next few weeks. A handful of them end up going to arbitration. We saw a lot of players sign deals. A lot of those deals were slightly under arbitration estimates. And a lot of those deals were guaranteed. And so I think what's happening there is because of all of this uncertainty, because of the threat of all of these non-tenders, you see a lot of players saying, hey, I'll cave a little bit, especially these the, the more established players that were going to be kept most likely no matter what. We're not, we're not seeing this as much with those fringe guys that, yeah, they signed their arbitration deal, but they might not make it through spring training or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it with the Matt Olsons of the world where they say, we're going to, well, I'll take a $300,000 pay cut below my estimate here, mm-hmm. but I want the I want the money guaranteed to me right now. And yep. the teams agree to that. Yep. I saw a lot of that. Actually, I was just updating all the numbers today based on all those agreements. Um, and they were all lower. Um, you know, and granted, we were using the MLBTR estimates, the higher one, which sort of based it on if 2020 had been a full year, here's what they would earn. Because I feel mm-hmm. like the Players Association the Union would, would have sort of insisted on that if it push came to shove. And so that's that was the logic there. But they came in under regardless. Um, and so, you know, ironically, because they're getting paid less, that means their surplus value is going up. And so you'll start to see some updates on our site saying, oh, he had more more than I thought. <laughs> so it's because he agreed to less money. Um, one of the ones that su- surprised me a little bit was Orlando Arcia of the Brewers took only $2 million. Um, now, I've been sort of an anti-Arcia guy in the past because he never he was sort of a hot prospect, but he never really hit much. He was a good fielder, but we know defense wasn't. Anyway, he finally hit in 2020. I think it's because they brought in Luis Urias to give him some competition. It woke him up, and, and he had a really solid year. I think he was going to, you know, we thought he was going to earn much more than that, and he settled for only $2 million. So he's got some value now because that was really cheap. But there's a few other cases like that as well. So... That one surprised me, but in general, I agree with your point. Um, there were a lot of people who, for fear of not getting tendered, it's like, okay, I'm just going to take whatever money I can, and you know, at least a reasonable pay cut, because I understand what, you know, what's going on with the world and the economy, and so that's fine. I'll live. And a lot of guys, I think, just made that choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to wrap up by saying, kudos to MLBTR. Um, they. <laughs> such an uncertain year they're they're usually so consistent with their arbitration estimates they're so reliable with them didn't really know what to expect this year there's just so many different variables that they normally wouldn't have to face the 60 game season the budgets all of this and for the most part they were still right on it so (laughs) tip of the hat to them yeah, it's really Matt Swartz, uh, but you know, obviously they they commissioned him to do that every year. But you know that you know he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's got a whole model, and he's right on the money generally every year. So I agree. Right. So I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else to say here? Uh, not at all. But I think now that we're past that, um, I think two thoughts. One is we obviously have a much bigger pool of free agents now, and so there's going to be some more sort of bargain shopping. And I still I think you'll start to see some activity now. In the in the uh, in the free agent market, I think to some degree people were waiting for this, just so they had a better sense of okay, what's in the store? I'm gonna shop in this aisle. I'm gonna shop in that aisle. Now you have a lot of choices to choose from, and I think uh, so. I think we're gonna start to see more signings, mostly in the mid to low tier year range. It might take a yeah. little while for the top guys to go. I think everyone's waiting on what decisions the Mets make, for instance, because they're the big sort of fish right now. Yeah. But I think the uh, free agent market will pick up now that we're past this hurdle. And yeah. I think um, 
I think because of that, I think there are more plentiful options. If you're looking to sort of augment your team, there will be viable options in the more viable options in the free agent market is what I want to say than the trade market. Because I think mm-hmm. everyone's sort of budget conscious right now. They know their prospects, you know, are going to be league minimum players for the next three years. So they they they're holding on to their prospects even more. I think, you know, unless it's for a Snell or somebody who's on a team friendly contract. I'm not sure you're going to see all that many trades involving prospects, at least not the top prospects. What I think you'll start to see is, like the Mets said, you know, there's money and there's players. I think they're going to using their whatever money they have for bargain deals and free agents, and they go that route first, and then, you know, if there's trades to be had, they will. Um, one final thought: I I've seen some proposals, you know, that take into account, you know, teams like the Mets, who are these sort of you know big fish because they've got a lot of money to spend picking up like dead money contracts like oh, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take this bad contract and if you attach another prospect to it it'll even it out and i i i, I always find those deals fascinating we might see one or two of those i'm not saying we will it's probably a long shot because you know teams are desperate to get rid of dead money right now there's some mm-hmm. rumblings of gene segura who's got negative value i saw one rumor that the toronto blue jays are interested in swapping him from tender work which makes sense because he's got negative value you know the rangers were shopping odor and andres i'm not sure if you can you know but there's sort of they might see some creative swapping going on with dead money contracts is what i'm trying to say um either with prospects attached to a team like the mets or just people clearing out like you know a guy who's owed money for one year for another guy who owes less money but for two years and so there's going to be a little bit of that sort of you know money slashing around like that just to kind of even out some budgets i expect a little bit of that activity as well yeah i agree those are always really fun and they kind of they kind of serve to reshape the market in a way because mm-hmm. on the one hand this team is acquiring this underwater contract and this significant prospect that kind of improves their picture but also hurts their budget a little bit then on the other team on the other side this team is freeing up 13 mil 15 mil however much it is maybe they become a player for some other uh some other big big ticket or medium ticket free agents and now that's everything's been reshaped so i i agree i like those deals a lot and i think the mets the mets are probably the best team the team best situated to make those they seem like they're going to be really aggressive and kind of looking at all avenues to try and improve uh, but we'll, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and when they've said publicly they want to build up their sort of upper level of their farm as well. So yeah. I wouldn't put it past them to say, okay, I'll take your dead money if you give us this guy who's in double A AA or triple A, you know, um, as an offset. So wouldn't be surprised. It's it's still relatively uncommon, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think that'll do it for this week. Um Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. We're always very open to questions, anything like that. Um, We're happy to discuss them on the show or to get back to you in person. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks to break down the next round of off-season news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the off-season. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.